This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pots to attract and retain real A players. Join us where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. If you've ever heard me speak, you've heard me talk about how recruiting and hiring new employees is much like the dating process. We all have relationships that we get into, relationships that require communication, require expectation setting, require commitment. And the employee-employer relationship is no different. Well, today's guest is actually an expert at translating this idea of dating to the business world. He is a brand new author, just wrote a book called Date Your Clients. And I just, I love the premise that goes into the idea that we have to make a commitment to our clients, to our people, set expectations and communicate with them properly, just like we do when we're dating someone new. So I'd love to introduce today's guest to the show, Mark Young. Well, hello, Mark, and welcome to the show. Uh, Hi, Ryan. How are you? You know, Ryan, I didn't ask you if that's how you pronounce your name. I shouldn't (laughs) assume as I learned during your intro. (laughs) Yes. And what Mark is talking about is we had a guest years ago and I just assumed I knew how to pronounce her name and I did it during the live recording. And she's like, pause, 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 pause. No, we're stopping. We need to edit this (laughs) out. It was all wrong. It wasn't even close. That's so So funny. My name is Mark Young. You can assume. Yeah. So don't assume. But you know what? There's probably some great lessons in there when it comes to dating your clients. You know? So funny. Yeah. Yeah. Probably some other things. So, you know, today we're going to, Mark's got a new book out. Yeah, I love the metaphor here that we're going to dive into. And even though we're going to talk a lot about clients and really how to take care of your clients and your customers, there's so many parallels when it comes to recruiting and your employees. So I'm really excited about that. So Mark, same question I ask everybody right at the beginning. We love changing mindset. We love breaking down norms. What is the biggest myth about your industry? Well, so Ryan, professionally, I actually own and operate an advertising and marketing agency. So that being the industry we're talking about, the greatest myth is that Anybody who does marketing is an expert at all different forms of marketing. And I talk about this. Someone's like, oh, I have a nephew who does that. Or I have so on. (laughs) They're really good with computers. Oh, sure. They should definitely be able to build you an e-commerce site to convert. So yeah, I tell people like, well, if my foot hurts, I wouldn't go to an oncologist, right? Except I, both of them are doctors. But at the same time, the same is true in the marketing advertising industry. And that is just because someone works in the industry doesn't mean that they're an expert because there's so many different verticals and so many different ways to skin that cat, so to say. And I had somebody the other day, a young man that I'd been mentoring and He's like, I really want to get into this marketing world professionally and I need to know what to do. And I said, okay. And he goes, but I'm really good at it. Like I know my stuff, but no one will give me a chance. And I'm like, well, it depends. What do you want to get into? Are you trying to get into like SEO and organic type marketing? Are you trying to get into paid advertising and social media? And he's like, well, SEO and paid ads are kind of like the same thing. And I went, they're literally the exact opposite of each other. (laughs) Literally the exact opposite. And he laughed and he's like, well, I guess I don't have as much experience as I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the case though with so many people? You know, it's funny. I spent my, in a past life before I was helping companies with recruiting, 
I had a marketing agency as well. And I, I always loved it when we would deliver a new website design and we would send it to the client and they'd be like, well, I talked to my brother-in-law and he thinks it's awful. He thinks you need to change this. You need to change that. And I just remember thinking, you know, if my doctor told me I had a brain tumor, I don't know that I'd bring those films home and be like, hey, sweetie, what do you think? Should I, we operate or not? <laughs> but, well, and, you know, I'll caveat one thing to that. And it's what I always tell my clients. And the first thing is, is and I actually mentioned this and date your clients. And that is, quit asking the people closest to you their opinions. <laughs> because all of them are going to tell you something positive because why would they want to set themselves up as being the bad guy? Yeah. Like these are people who want to remain in your life. Why would they call your baby ugly? Yeah. Like, they're not going to do it. Like hire a professional who tells the truth. Yeah. That's what you need to do. But from the standpoint of my brother-in-law thinks this needs changed and that needs changed. The one thing I always highlight for my clients is, you know, let's take that under advisement because your brother is a potential consumer. So from the eyes of a consumer, let's figure out if your brother is the demographic that we're trying to sell to. Because if your brother is in demo, that may be valid input. But if your brother is out of demo, if your brother's 60 years old and we're trying to sell a product to an 18-year-old female, I probably don't care about his opinion. Yeah, <laughs> so much to that. So tell me, so you wrote this book called Date Your Clients, and I love the metaphor there of dating them. So give us a quick overview of the book, just the premise of the book and maybe why you wrote it. Well, so the story behind this is as embarrassing as it kind of is to sound, although it's not embarrassing for me, is I was talking to a client one day who just wasn't getting it. And as I was trying to explain to her some of the disconnects that were happening because she was, again, metaphorically throwing out the baby with the bathwater, I tried to explain to her, I'm like, no, you're missing the point. Like you're driving traffic to a website that's terrible. Mm. And you're blaming the traffic. And it's like, well, it's not the traffic's fault because the traffic got there. The issue is that the site itself is terrible. I'm like, it's no different than if I were to get you a hundred first dates and you showed up looking ugly. Mm. Like, doesn't matter how many dates I get you, you showed up looking ugly. Like, it doesn't matter what kind of personality you have. You already turned people off. I'm like, it's kind of like your dating profile. You would never put ugly pictures of yourself on a dating profile. You always put the best ones, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, same with your website. It's another point of intrigue. And the goal is to simply continue the relationship. And I said, the goal of a first date is a second date. Yeah. The goal of the first date is not marriage, <laughs> right? The goal of the first date is a second date. And the goal of the second date is a third date until yeah. you've accumulated enough data to decide if this is going somewhere. But the reality is, is as a marketer, I can get you as many first dates as you want, but you've got to deliver once that happens. And I start metaphorically outlining this to her and she was not real receptive to it. And I said, well, tell you what, how about if I put this in an email for you? That way you get a chance to kind of let it marinate. And I started writing this email to her and it turned into a book. Truthfully, that's exactly how that happened. Okay. All right. Literally well, started an email and wrote a book. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's one of the best ways, right? Because it's authentic. Right? It's real. Like you were looking to solve a problem. It's fantastic. You know, it's funny when we talk to clients, they're like, oh, we can't find any good people. Like there's no one out there that wants to work. And we pull up their online profile and, you know, they look to the equivalent of being an axe murderer. I'm like, right. this is why people don't want to come work for you. You know, when your Yelp reviews are a two star, guess what employees are thinking? Well, the customers don't like them. <laughs> There's no way the employees like being there. Your statement. You know, so often we, as employers, I see this as business owners, we sort of dismiss some of the bad stuff. And we're like, oh, that was a crazy psycho client. Who cares? But right. it's out there in the world. And it's part it of your axe murderer looking profile. 
Yeah, it's that glass door issue. And the truth of the matter is, is to a certain extent, there is a certain element of people read glass door reviews and it's like people post the negative, not positive. That's kind of one of those things. But to employers, one of the things that I always mention is like, then just have your current staff go write reviews for you. Like it's not that complicated. (laughs) We can dismiss the bad ones, but are there any good ones? When we're dealing in e-commerce, the same thing goes for your product. Like it's okay to have a four-star review you know, an average of four stars, because some people aren't going to like it no matter what you do. Yeah. But the reality is, is we need to make sure that we're trumpeting the ones that do. Well, and if you have 5,000 five-star reviews, people are going to start to call BS after a while. They're like, there's no way you're making that many people happy. 100%. So it's okay to have a couple bad ones. And I tell you, you know what, we have that conversation all the time too. It's like, there is no such thing as a perfect company that delivers perfect customer experience. Customers don't want to know you're perfect. They want to know that when a problem arises, they want to know how you'll solve it. Yeah. That's what they want. When stuff happens, because it will happen, what are you doing to fix it? We talk about, you know, there's actually more value in you responding to a negative review in a positive light than there is in just ignoring it and hope it'll go away. 100%. 100%. So talk to me, talk, give us a couple of uh, principles that started in this email that turned into a book, maybe one or two things that our listeners could start thinking about for their business and ways they could transform things. And let's dig into a couple of them. Yeah. So again, I tend to be somewhat of a sarcastic, snarky kind of personality anyway. So it became <laughs> very evident in my writing that everything had a bit of a tongue in cheek sort of nuance to it. And part of that is when you're talking about dating your clients, even the title itself is a somewhat provocative nature to it, right? I mean, it dates your clients and everybody immediately tilts their head slightly and goes, like, I thought we weren't supposed to date our clients. Like, ha, 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 right? Well, obviously. But in that metaphor, one of the things I tell people is, you know, I've dated a lot and I've also had a lot of clients. And the one thing that all of them had in common was they've all been human. Mm. And the reality is, is that human interactions are human interactions because no matter how unemotionally you you want to consider yourself at work, you're an emotional human being, right? You're a person who's created that way. We all get frustrated. We all get disappointed. We all have celebrations. We all want to be cheered on, even when we say, oh, that stuff doesn't matter to me, right? And attaboy goes a long way, no matter how good you are. And a certain amount of that pomp and celebration and stuff like that is, is necessary. But in the date your clients metaphors, again, we start everywhere in chapter by chapter. It walks through probably the unscrupulous details of how dating takes place and makes every single comparison through the life cycle of a client relationship and chapters such as the first fight and the first date and meeting the family and all of this kind of stuff. And they all play in, by the way, to you know the same thing in recruiting and in all of this. It's how do you manage relationships? And I go back to a word all the time in darn near every interaction I have, and that is its expectations. And for most people, (laughs) it boils down to a matter of making sure your expectations align. Because talking about recruiting, an employee has an expectation of what an employer should do for them and what the employer should be for them. And the employers, for all intents and purposes, guessing. But those expectations are typically based on a past employer. So you have no idea how that past employer treated the employee. And that's what that employee expects from you now. Good or bad, that's their expectation. Just like the ex-girlfriend, right? All of a sudden you're dating her now and her setup for what your relationship should look like is based off of what? Her family, based off of her previous relationships, based off of these types of things. And you're guessing. Yeah. And the reality is, is that most arguments and relationships, most employee dissatisfaction, it all comes up because someone expected something that didn't happen. 
it's typically nothing to do with what happened. Yeah. It's usually what didn't happen. <laughs> it's funny, you know, so many people talk right now. The only way to get people to work is to pay them more. Everybody thinks they're worth so much in this thing. And I said, you know what it really is? And I love how you put this together. They're expecting you to treat them like their last employer. And the mm-hmm. only way they're going to tolerate that in a new environment is if the bribe, aka their paycheck, is big enough for them to look the other way. Unless, the other thing I would say is, unless you treat the person so much better than they're willing to in what I call the social engagement, that there's this marketplace, socially speaking. Like, for instance, you get the really pretty girl with the guy who's got money. Well, well, you know, that stuff happens too, right? I mean, you get the, you know, he's able to offer his finances in exchange for her beauty. Like, those sort of things happen in that social exchange. Well, the same thing happens at employers, right? I'm willing to work for less money if it's a super fun environment. And I've got a lot of friends that work there. Yeah, Or absolutely. for instance, I get to work in a field where I'm passionate. And in the field that I'm passionate, if I'm an artist and you offer me a job where I just have to create art every day, I'll work for less money because I just love what I do. In your world, I mean, you're dealing with a lot of blue collar work. And it's like, that doesn't necessarily provide the existential benefit that a lot of people are looking for. It's a wage type situation, but they still want additional perks. They still want to feel that value. They still want to have that personalized touch. But again, you're competing with their last employers, the the bar that was set for them and even dealing with clients. I mean, we're, we're an advertising agency. Well, how often my client thinks we should meet is 100% based on when their last agency met. We tell them we're going to set you up on a meeting every two weeks. Well, my last agency, we met weekly. Okay, fine. We'll meet weekly. Like if that's what it takes, but I'm guessing the outcome until that happens. Like, well, I don't like the way we do this. We have one client, we use Microsoft Teams and we use it internally. We use it with clients. We use it with all of them. Well, this one particular client uses Slack and his solution was, well, everyone we deal with uses Slack. So you guys need to use Slack when you're communicating with me. We're like, whatever, like if that's what it takes, but it it's the expectation of what they believe good service looks like. So how do you manage that? I I mean, I believe that you already said it and it was so great. It's not what happened. It's what was expected to happen that didn't happen. That's what causes the problems. So as the company, how do you manage that? So the the way to manage expectations is through clear communication. And that is 100% of it. I mean, if, if you come in as an employee and I tell you exactly what's going to happen and exactly what the expectations are, and I tell you what the negatives are about working here, and I tell you what the exciting things are, and you know, so on and so forth, like all of that set up in the beginning. So there's no reason for an expectation to go south, right? All of that happens early enough in the courtship process, which in the employment world is the interview. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to talk about the good. We're going to talk about the bad. Like, I laughingly say hopefully. that. I, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> well, yeah. But the, th- the truth of the matter is, is with me, yes. Like, I tend to focus more on the negative during an interview than the positive because a lot of intrinsic positives come with working in our industry because we get a lot of passionate people who love what we do and they want to be part of that. But in addition to that, it's like, we've got to focus on the negative. We tell people, like, look, we're really disorganized. Like, We have a very entrepreneurial client base, which means last minute things show up all the time because our clients don't have their together, so to say. Like, so things happen, like communication can get crazy, those types of things. And we really do. Does that sound okay to you? Does that frustrate you? Is that something you think you can work within? Mm. Like we change hats all the time. Like, is that a place that you can do? And a lot of times I notice employers want to 
And they want to talk about all these positive things, right? They want to do all this kind of stuff. And, and that's when they want to say, oh, this is the best place to work ever. You know, we're the biggest whatever in America. No one cares. Like, no one cares that you're the biggest company in America. They want to know how it affects themselves. Because at the end of the day, I'm my own favorite topic. And we talk about this in marketing all the time. Quit talking about yourself. Talk about the customer. Yeah. And from an employment standpoint, it's the same thing. It's like employers want to sit and have this conversation about themselves and what they offer and what they do as a company and what they, 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 they. And the reality is, is the employee is sitting here going, okay, but how does this affect me? Yeah. What do I get out of this? And I don't mean financially. I, I mean, again, a lot of this existential benefit comes from the, we do an annual golf outing. I mean, for us, as an example, one of the things we talk about is we believe in work-life balance. We understand that people have lives outside of the office, which means we're really flexible about people being able to work from home if necessary. And we close the office for two weeks around Christmas and New Year's because we understand that being here in South Florida, nobody's from South Florida. We all travel for the holidays. So no one who lives in South Florida actually has family in South Florida. Everybody's from somewhere else. So our entire office is planning on being out of town anyways. But you know what? We just shut the office down. But here's the expectation. Around this time of year, we are outlining what projects must be completed before we go on break. Everyone has to take their laptop home with them when they're traveling over the holidays. Because just because we're closed doesn't mean our clients are. Sure. And we're outlining those types of expectations. But again, what's in it for you, Ryan? You get to spend two weeks at home over Christmas and New Year's. You can go spend it with your family up north. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Just be available if I need to call. And those types of perks, but those types of people start thinking like, wow, I get vacation time and I get to use it over the, and I get time over the holidays. Sure. Like, that's really cool. Like, you guys don't count sick days. You just, if you're sick, you're sick, work from home, whatever. Sure, that's not a problem. Like, wait, and I get these things? It's usually not a conversation about dollars. Yeah. It's yeah. usually a conversation about people's wanting to be part of a fun team. Like, it's very common for us to have three, four people all come in and introduce themselves all during interviews. And I'll leave the room oftentimes. I mean, I'm not the one who does most hiring, but I mean, our VP of ops, she'll leave the room and just let them chat with other employees. Yeah. Talk yeah. to other people. So when I think about that, though, back to lots in there about expectation setting, communicating it, which I don't know why, but communication seems to be one of the hardest things for a lot of companies to figure out how to do effectively which I'm sure it talks about. And I think the analogy or into the metaphor is that's what the whole dating process is about. That's what you communicate is during the dating process. So when it comes to dating your clients, like what's that look like? How do you set expectations with clients so that it actually works? So here's, and I'll say this, and that is most of our clients want to say two things in there. The first thing is with the expectation side, setting those expectations and communicating clearly is enormous on the front end and you'll never get around it. And I will say for most of our clients, not going to say everybody's, but I will say for our clients particularly, and I think this holds true even in the blue collar recruiting world, most of our clients have come to a score. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They've dealt with somebody in the past who's treated them badly, someone who told them they were going to go take them from zero to hero in three months. And all you had to do was pay this giant retainer. They, they've come to them with these expectations broken. So they're coming like that that date that just got out of a bad relationship. And they're not willing to give us everything. They're not willing to buy into the culture. They're not willing to talk about all the things. So 
they come to us and say, okay, so what would you do with our brand? Tell us, Sage, what is it that you would do if you were king of the forest? And we spell out this giant scope of work and tell them, look, these are all the things that are wrong, which to them are inherently sounds just like the other people I've talked to because they mm. were negative too. Yeah. And then they say, okay, well, our budget is $3,000 a month. I have to resist laughing. So I'm like, you've barely covered our phone call, but can we please talk a little bit deeper than $3,000 a month? Because that's in the marketing world, nothing. Yeah. Like literally doing more than that in sales a day. And that's what you want to put to your marketing. Like that's ridiculous. But what we end up having to do is get some very early wins. And I think the same holds true in dating. And I think the same holds true in recruiting. You have to set up those expectations early. And then you have to prove that you're a person or you're a company that follows through on your promises. Because most expectations have been defeated because somebody's made a promise that they haven't kept. You know, I promise that we're going to do this and then I don't, or I promise we're going to do this and then I don't. It's the boyfriend who makes all of the, you know, you're the love of my life, but then is texting all the time to other people. Yeah. And that expectation, he may be doing nothing wrong, but her expectation is different than that. And the same is true with employers. You're going to be the greatest. You're going to be amazing. You're going to be the best hire we've made all year. And then suddenly you're just another cog in the machine. And that person feels very deflated by it. I would say, early wins with our clients in particular, what do we do? Well, we tactically figure out like, okay, so for $3,000 a month, let's say, what is the one way we can make a super early win and prove to you we know what we're doing? And we meet them where they are. And then we pull them forward. We have a client right now that we just started working with a few months ago, which is actually where the $3,000 a month comes from. Mm -hmm. And that was their cap. And I'm like, that's fantastic. And here's my scope of work. Like your whole place needs remodeled. Yeah. And yet you want to, you know, paint the living room. And when I'm trying to tell you, there's no point in painting this because we need to tear the walls down. And eventually it's like, okay, great. Well, rather than painting the living room, even though walls need torn down, let's metaphorically do something completely different and show you what we're capable of. And we did some real tactical work for them and blew up a $30,000 weekend in sales. Wow. All of a sudden the client was like, okay, we're listening. What is it? (laughs) Yeah. A few months later... And I'm on a telephone call with the client talking about a complete revamp of their entire program, rebranding, repackaging, rebuilding their website, full PR and SEO campaigns and everything else. And the client's like, yes, what else? What else? And I'm like, okay, there we go. Like, it's a trust issue. You showed them you were different. Absolutely. Well, and that trust is built on expectations. Sure. The expectation is that when you promise me something, you deliver and I deliver once you expect it the second time and the third time, then the trust happens because when you say you will, you do. Yeah, I love that. You know, keep your promises and don't make promises you can't keep. I mean, that's the rule right there. So that's fantastic. So you said that the dating your client metaphor, it really goes through all of these different stages. What's another area? So we talked about expectations, communication. It's another area that our listeners could go, you know what, I can start doing that. Whether it's their clients or it's employees, By the way, I'm not condoning dating your employees. Okay, that's something you need to talk about with your attorney. But the metaphor here... Metaphor works, yeah. (laughs) So one of my favorite chapters in the book, I get asked that regularly, like, what's your favorite chapter? And I will say that my favorite chapter is actually a chapter called The First Fight. Okay. And I think the first fight becomes a bigger problem than most people realize because nobody wants to talk about that. And the truth of the matter is, is 
every employee is going to get frustrated. Every dating relationship is going to have a fight. Every client is going to disagree with a strategy. There's always going to be differences. And the truth is, is, you know, my dad always used the phrase, if we agreed on everything, one of us wouldn't be necessary. And the reality is, is like we need to learn how to embrace those differences and figure out how we communicate through them. And part of that, I'll say as an example, like it's that time of year that we're doing employee evaluations around here. And one of the things that I interests me is so many employee evaluations are a list of all of the things that you should do better. And so seldom do employee evaluations stop and congratulate and celebrate the wins and talk about the good stuff. And I would say that when the stuff goes right, we just expect it. And when the stuff goes wrong, we feel like we need to throw a parade to make sure that everybody knows what they did wrong. And I would say that the same is true. We talked about online reviews, right? The happy customers just expected a good experience. And what happened? Well, we met expectations. That's it. But the people who had a negative experience tell the world, like they share their experiences. And I think in the first fight, we really talked through when things go wrong, what do we do? There's an incredible metaphor that actually I'd seen in a meme one day of all things. And the meme was actually of a, a World War II plane that came back to base all shot up. And the engineers at the base said, well, you know what? Look at all these areas that got shot up. We need to start reinforcing the entire Air Force, our entire fleet in those areas, because those are the areas that get shot up most often. And there was one man who actually stood up and said, actually, I'm going to say it's the exact opposite. That is, the planes got shot up in those areas, but still made it home. Mm. I would postulate that the planes that didn't make it back were shot up in the other areas. And because of that, we should actually reinforce the areas of these planes that didn't get shot because that's where the damage really gets done. And I was like, wow, like we need to double down on our positives and not focus so much on the negatives. And when it comes to dealing with staff, when it comes to dealing with dating, imagine the case that all we do is focus on the things that go wrong and don't take the time to talk about the things that go well. Yeah. Related to clients, you know, well, let's say that we send a website to a client and the client, what do they do? They immediately go through it, find everything about it that they wish they had different. We get this giant bullet list of everything they want changed before we even get a chance to get on a phone call because we have to send them the art files in advance, right? Yeah. Now they want to take three days to go through it. They're like, no, let us walk you through it, please. Immediate thing that happens, we get on the call, the client sent this list of 15 things they want changed. The artist is disappointed because, you know, I did such a great job and now you just called my baby ugly and we're going through this battle. But we get on the telephone with them and usually it'll be a, you know, a web meeting or something because I hate phone calls. But we go through this stuff and usually I will tell them, we have to start at the top of the page. We're not starting with your email. We're starting at the top of the page. And at the top of the page, tell me, what do you like about this? Oh, we loved that. That image is just exactly what we were going for. The font's a little small. No problem. We'll fix the font. What do you think of the overall branding? And it's like, usually when we talk through it, we find out we're 95% in agreement. Yeah. But you didn't send me a list of all the things you loved. You sent me a list of all the things you wanted different. Yeah. And I think the same holds true in, in fights. I see marriages that my background actually was in clinical psychology and I'd be sitting with clients on a regular basis in a therapy session, as an example. And I would always try to take them back to you. But what is it that you love about each other? Like what brought you together to begin with? I get the problem you're having right now, but is there enough equity that we can work through this? What's going well? 
Yeah. When you start figuring out the things that are positives, that first fight and all subsequent fights actually start to seem less of a deal. When my clients don't like something we do, great. Well, let's talk about all the things, all the wins you've had with us on your team. And all of a sudden, the one thing you didn't like really doesn't seem like that big of a deal anymore. And I think that's, I think that's a big deal when you're talking with trying to discipline an employee. You know, you've always heard the, you know, start with a good, end with a good type situation. Like, I want to thank you for your commitment. I know you meant well when you were doing this because mm-hmm. I can see how you thought it through. Sure. I don't like the action you took here. And I want to hear about what led you there. And I'm excited because I know that you're a person who's going to fix it. <laughs> yeah. And that type of communication goes a long way. I think it's interesting as you're talking about the first fight. And just for those listening right now, I mean, one of the things that really stood out to me was the first fight can't be the first thing that happens because then it's a problem. You started with get the little wins so that there's a little bit of built up equity so that when you do have the first fight, there's enough positive that's happened in the relationship that you're both willing to work through it. Is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And I mean, and again, when I talk about the first fight, I'm assuming that that first fight is an existing relationship, not one that just began. Yeah, you show up for the first date and you meet at the restaurant, instantly you go into a fight. Probably not the way to start the relationship. Not a good way to start a relationship. That's all the red flag. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, a lot of great stuff in there. I think the thing that really stood out for me was when you're talking about the critics, right? Everybody's a critic. And I think one of the things that I learned a long time ago is the difference between an amateur critic and a professional critic is the amateur critic can tell you what's wrong with it, what they don't like, whereas the professional will tell you what they do like. Because I think so much in human nature is it's easy for us to tell us what we don't like because there's usually an emotional, visceral reaction to it. Well, I will tell you another quote from my dad, which he's got all kinds of them. It was a, no one ever erected a statue to a critic. <laughs> like, that's fair. That's yeah. Fair. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. So, So better communications, understanding that it's not going to be perfect, that there are going to be fights, whether you're, it's a client, whether it's an employee, like there's going to be fights, but making sure that there's enough equity, getting those little wins first to make sure that when they do go to the fight and they're in that relationship, that you're both willing to work through it. But then again, even when there's that fight, being able to communicate. Like one of the things that stood out to me that you just said was when you go back, yeah, they sent that email. And it probably, the designer wasn't happy and account manager probably wasn't happy, but nobody went and blasted the client back and said, you're wrong, you suck, you're an idiot. It was like, no, let's sit down and have a conversation, like two civilized human beings. And you started with, well, what's good about it? And then you heard them, but then you were also able to point out probably a lot of the other things that they didn't. So, I mean, for me, it sounds like so much of dating your clients is so similar to relationships, which they're all grounded in communication. Well, the other thing I'll throw in there, Ryan, for your audience that's looking for a little bit of a deeper dive in something, and that is, I'm sure you're familiar with the psychological term, a pattern interrupt. And pattern interrupts, I tend to live my life by them. And that is, I think that most people have a script already written. And the idea is that, you know, I know what a fight should happen. And I immediately go into my comfort zone and fighting, or if an employer relationship comes up, like people behave in patterned ways. And that is the brain doesn't like change all that much, right? It likes novelty. It doesn't love change. And the reality is, is that people approach situations in those patterns and patterns are not typically rational. When we interrupt the pattern, what happens is it forces you to think in the now and not think from the past. 
And there's a difference there. So when I get on the phone with a client who is accustomed, their expectation is you send me your best and then I tell you all the things I want changed. That's their expectation. When I can pattern interrupt and get on a telephone call and say, hey, I'm so glad that you're on the call today. I wanted to sit and talk about all the things you love about our work. That's such a pattern interrupt for the client because that's not what they expect to hear. And it makes them get go off script because their script is they printed out the email they sent and we were going to talk about all of the things they told us needed change. And they're forced into stopping and going, did you just say talk about all of the things you loved about my work? Like, okay. Like, and I can picture this and I see it in marital situations and whatnot too. You know, you and your wife get into a fight and your wife's like, you just fill in the blank. And you're like, that's great. And I'd love to reply. But first I need to tell you, I need you to tell me two things you love about me. And you can imagine her response, like, what the hell are you talking about? Things I love about you. I just told you how angry I am. Yes, I know, but there's two reasons you love me and I need you to tell me them. And then I will reply with, you know, what we're talking about here. Like those types of pattern interrupts are complete game changers in conversation. And the more novel you can make a conversation, the more present the other person becomes. And I think that's true in so many ways. Like you go in for a job interview. What do I expect? Well, I bring a copy of a resume. I wear my best outfit. You show up in the meeting room 10 minutes late. You tell me how busy you are. Like we expect all of these things. And it's like the more novel you can make it, the more intriguing it is for the other person. So to your listeners, I would say as you're recruiting new people, quit doing it the way everyone else does it. Find a pattern that breaks their expectations because I guarantee you they'll remember you. And I guarantee you that novelty they will assume is not just a one-time event, but it's a novelty that continues and break those patterns. Like sit down in an interview. I mean, I love when I start, I've started interviews and I deliberately do it different all the time, but I'll start an interview going, great. Well, before I start asking you questions, I want you to start. And the person just kind of looks at you like, oh, well, I, I don't know much about the job. Well, yeah, but you're searching for an employer. <laughs> I'm yeah. interviewing you. You're interviewing me. You start. Yeah. And sometimes it's enough to just break that ice to, to change that pattern a little bit. No, it's, that's great. You know, Mark, there's so many things here and then there's probably so much more in the book. I mean, we've only had short little time together and you wrote a whole book about this concept of being able to date your clients. So there's probably so much more that our listeners can get. And for those of you that have heard something in here, I mean, go check out the book. It's available on Amazon. There's a website. Mark, you would also mention too, if anybody's interested in having a conversation with you or your team about ways you can help them with their marketing or being able to even date their clients a little bit more, have better relationship with their clients. You said you had an offer for them. I'd love for you to tee that up right now. Yeah, thank you. So I would guarantee to anybody, if they reach out to me, like I love conversations. I love just building relationships with people. You know, the entire premise of our book is to value the relational over the transactional. And that's the same way I want to be right now. And that is, I'm not trying to offer a transaction to anybody, but I want to offer a relationship to anybody. Reach out. My website for the book is dateyourclients.com. And you can reach me at mark at dateyourclients.com. Books available on Amazon. I tell anybody, go pick up a copy of it. You'll enjoy it. It's a fun read. It's a business book that's not boring. And at the same time, I would tell you, reach out to me. Let me know what I can do to support your business in whatever way possible. Rise Agency is my marketing agency, but just go to date your clients and reach out to me. We'll talk. I answer that inbox myself. So if anybody wants to talk, they're getting directly through to me. That's great. Thank you so much, Mark. And yes, take him up on that offer. What an incredible offer published author here, knows what they're talking about, knows how to create better client relationships. And, and the truth is we all need that. We all need that all the time. And it sounds like, and we were able to do it quite well in this episode here, 
it's all going to translate to all your other relationships as well. Even your employee relationships and heck, talking about dating, maybe even some personal ones as well. You know what, Mark? Thank you so much for being here today. I really enjoyed it. Perfect. Thanks so much, Ryan. I appreciate the time. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.